I get people calling who they haven't even had their child yet. I have, you know, baby Jones on the wait list because they don't even have a name yet, hoping that they will get a spot by the time they're two and a half. Welcome to the Rising Economy podcast produced by South Island Prosperity Partnership. This series features leading thinkers and change makers giving bold insights about the key concerns of our time. This ranges from economic trends to workforce changes, the housing crisis, and the factors impacting cities and our region. Welcome to the Rising Economy podcast brought to you by South Island Prosperity Partnership. I'm Carrie Slavens, and I'll be your moderator for today's episode, Why Childcare is an Economic Issue and Why We Should All Care. Today, we're podcasting from Czech studios on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen people, today known as Esquimalt and Songhees Nations. Our Rising Economy podcasts are a way of keeping important conversations about our economy going all year, leading up to the annual Rising Economy Conference, now entering its fourth year. Stay tuned for conference dates. Well, this is Child Care Month, and um, today we're going to talk about child care as an issue that not only affects our society, it affects our economy, and it affects our future. We're talking about access to affordable, accessible, quality child care. While child care is often considered a family issue, in fact, studies show it's the second highest expense after housing for BC families. So that's pretty huge. And the gaps and shortages in the system are having major impacts on child care providers, business owners, communities, and the economy. So today we're going to chat with three people who work in the child care sector, one a child care center owner, one the director of a nonprofit child care center, and one who is a consultant who takes a broad view of the child care sector. So first up, I want to introduce Megan Brame. Megan is a child early childhood educator with both special needs and infant toddler certifications, along with a BA in child and youth care. Megan has owned and operated Saks Point Daycare, a licensed group facility in Esquimalt since 1994. She not only worked for many years in the front lines of childcare, she was also a municipal councillor in the township of Esquimalt for 14 years. Megan understands the importance of quality childcare for both development of the child, but also for the workforce. As Megan says, without quality, stable childcare, people will struggle to work in all the other businesses needed for economic growth. Next up, I'd like to introduce you to Wendy Lowe. She's the Centre Director of Infant Plus in Victoria. Wendy has been in early child care and uh, early childhood care and education for over two decades. She's worked in program development at an administrative level and with three Victoria child care centers over the past 18 years. She's committed to providing high quality child care through advocacy and continued education. She has her diploma in early childhood care and education with a specialty in infants and toddlers. And Wendy was awarded the 2016 Provincial Child Care Award of Excellence Lifetime in recognition for her commitment to early childhood education and the promotion of child care within the province of BC. Last but not least, we have Eric Swanson. Eric is the principal with Third Space Planning, a Victoria-based policy and urban planning firm. 
Eric's recent work has focused on policy intersections between childcare, the environment, and climate change, on advancing environmental health in childcare set- settings, and on ways to ensure all childhood educators receive fair and competitive wages and benefits. Eric is also on the board, he's the board co-chair of Fernwood um, NRG, and that, I apologize, Fernwood NRG provides $10 a day childcare in Victoria's Fernwood neighborhood. So welcome to everyone. My first question, many parents of children ranging from infants to preschoolers know the anxiety of trying to secure quality, affordable childcare. So I want to ask all of you to start with an overview. What is the current situation in Greater Victoria in terms of wait lists and shortages? What are we, what are we facing? What are you seeing? I'm going to start with you, Megan. Uh, basically, I'm hearing from parents, well, two or three parents a day right now. They want a spot for September. And unfortunately, I'm full already. I filled all my spots for September in March. I get people calling who they haven't even had their child yet. And they're putting them, I have, you know, baby Jones on the wait list because they don't even have a name yet, hoping that they will get a spot by the time they're two and a half. So it's, it's a fight. There are people that are desperate desperately looking for care and it's even harder for children with inclusion needs like Mm -hmm. children with support needs struggle even more so to try and find a space that's incredible and of course that brings a lot of anxiety to um, parents and uh, it probably puts a lot of pressure on the child care providers too Um, you're fielding calls and managing wait lists Um, Wendy let me ask you for your overview Um, what are you seeing out there in terms of the need right now shortages what issues are we facing? I feel the same as Megan when it comes to, I echo her thoughts around, you know, people putting their, some people say we're the second to first call after they find out they've had, uh, that they're pregnant. And it's, um, it's sad really that they haven't even met their babes yet. And they have to, you know, they have to, Think about, talk about anxiety, think about putting them in a place that they don't even know their child yet. But to contemplate that, to me, is quite anxiety-inducing. And yes, I mean, our centre offers under threes care, but predominantly that is another kind of hurdle for, for families because there just isn't that many spaces that offer that specialised care of under three. Wow. And um, Eric, um, you're coming in, I mean, you work in in policy areas and policy intersections. Um, What are you seeing? Can you give us the broad overview of the issues we're facing and what the scenario is out there right now? Well, I can just echo Megan and Wendy. The situation is a chronic and continuing shortage of capacity. You know, as BC strives to build out a universal system um, and uh, the vision is right, you know, access for everyone um, that's affordable and high quality, uh, but it's taking a while to get there. And so we still have a lot of desperate families. For example, in Fernwood, we don't even advertise a wait list anymore. You know, we've got a wait mm-hmm. pool. Um, and, and so chronic shortage, the chronic shortage persists. Okay. Um, now, I want to, I wanna, I'll stay with you for a minute, Eric. What factors are actually combining to create this situation, um, including the things many people in the general public wouldn't think about? What's causing this? Well, we've had a lack of a system for 
the entire history of Canada. And so it's been over 50 years since the Royal Commission on the Status of Women first recommended universal childcare as a way to ensure that all women uh, can fully and equally participate in all aspects of Canadian society. Mm. 50th anniversary of that was 2020. And so here we are, um, starting a few years ago with the federal and the provincial governments for the first time aligning uh, on a commitment to build a universal childcare system. And so we're just getting started. The demand has always has always been there. You could uh, you can see that over the past few years, the demand is starting to increase as people have become familiar with the promise of universal ten dollar a day of childcare and are starting to rearrange their family plans, um, kind of with that expectation in mind. Mm-hmm. Also, the cost of living has increased. You know, we're all familiar with the housing crisis, with inflation. When things cost more, you need more income, and to earn more income with a young family, you need care. And so that has increased demand as well. And so um, the need has always been there. Um, It's arguably more acute now than ever um, Mm -hmm. as we seek to build up the system. Okay, great. And Megan, so you own your old your own child care center and you've been a municipal counselor. So you probably heard from people in the community over time. Um, What's your feeling? How do we get here? Were there warning signs that we weren't listening to when we should have been? um, Or was the child care sector just not taken seriously enough? Yeah, I think one of our biggest issues is there are people that have their early childhood education and they they left the field in droves. They were underpaid, overworked, underappreciated. Um, you know, teachers, you always hear rah, rah teachers, like even during COVID, it was like, oh, the teachers are working. Oh, fabulous. There's many centers like me. I was open all through COVID. I hadn't shut down a day. And people forget that, you know, we are a vital link as well. So we, ECEs just left. They could get paid more working in the government. They could get paid more, you know, doing something else. So people left. Um, mm. There's very few people out there that have been in the field for like the length of time, like 35 years. I've yes. worked frontline childcare. So it's, it's people, the younger people, they come in, they use it as a stepping stone to take their child in youth care and go work in the school system or something. So our biggest problem with spaces is we don't have the educators. Okay, um, that's good. And Wendy, you're in charge of a nonprofit child care center, and you are, like the other two, uh, an advocate for the child care sector. What forces combine to get us to the point where people are desperate to get on wait lists or, or into wait pools for quality child care centers? Well, I do think, yeah, um, it did. The need has always been there, but again, with the cost of living. And, you know, the high cost of rent and housing, it is, it's not a luxury to have a two-income family anymore. It's a necessity. So I think I've seen it. I mean, I started in the early 90s, and I have seen, you know, there was kind of a time where, you know, I was looking for people. Like, I had a wait list, but there was people for finding spaces, and it just wasn't this dire as it has been in the last, I would say 10 years that I've been doing this. Um, And again, you know, being part of even creating the new spaces and taking advantage of the the funding, the capital funding that was out there and that we did that, we still created, you know, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's still, you know, 24 new spaces were created and we're still finding that people 
yeah, I do. I do think um, the educa- the educator piece is, is part of it. Like Megan uh, mm-hmm. said, that you know, it's just sometimes just really hard to to you know find the the, the uh, educators with the suitable amount of education mm-hmm. and that can work in the facilities, depending on the you know the programs offered, whether it's under threes or three to five or inclusion programs. Right. And um, I'm wondering if one of you can tell me, is the need, are some parts of our region, Greater Victoria, more affected by this than others? Um, Where is the need the greatest? Um, Well, the need the greatest is for under three spots, like that that, uh, 12 months to two and a half. Mm -hmm. That's the greatest need. But it is actually a universal issue across BC, like that... It, it is not just even, you know, the island, it's all of BC. Like my, mm-hmm. my son lives in New Denver and there's no childcare there. There's one small preschool and the wait list is long. Amazing. Uh, it's incredible. And in fact, I was just reading globally, um, they've estimated that economically, um, if all that they... This is from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they're talking about women. They've said that if all the women who needed affordable, quality childcare could have it, it would actually contribute three trillion dollars to the global GDP. So that's really the size of it. And of course, we know that we're not just talking about moms; we're also talking about dads. We're talking about families of all kinds of configurations right now. But that's they looked at women, and that's what they saw. So obviously, it's a bigger problem. Um, let's zero in for a minute. Um, we don't want to completely focus on affordability, but there has been a shift with the implementation of $10 a day childcare. And Eric, I want to ask you, how is that going? What are the pluses and what are some of the unanticipated challenges? Can you give us a bit of a overview on that? Sure. Well, the province of BC basically has two streams when it comes to reducing fees for families. The first is the kind of formal 10 a day sites. These are where fees will be no more than $10 a day for families and lower for different programs and for lower income uh, folks. And then the rest of the facilities uh, across the province, uh, the vast majority of those are eligible for and receive uh, what's called the Child Care Fee Reduction Initiative, which is passed on to families and has the has had the end result of reducing fees by up to $900 per child uh, per month um, for children under six. Mm-hmm. And so significant, significant reductions in fees. Um, not, uh, you know, the total fees that you pay still vary across the province, depending on what each individual provider charges. Um, so it's a mixed, it's a mixed story. The right. direction we're going in though, um, and that BC has promised is no more than $10 a day for all families. And so we're all very much looking forward to updates from the province about when we're going to get there. But okay. I just like to uh, echo, you know, what Megan and Wendy were both saying there in terms of key roadblocks. Um, we know we can reduce fees, but we still need educators and we mm-hmm. still need the space. And so, you know, we need to be paying educators more in line with the K-12 sector and other competitive positions. I was just looking at some data yesterday showing that across BC, the average wage for uh, early childhood educators is around $24 an hour. It's kind of the same average that you get from some of the child care resource and referral agencies here in Greater Victoria. Right. The province says median 26. We need that to be higher 
we need that to be start at 30 all the way up to kind of $40 per hour with qualifications and years of experience mm-hmm. in addition to kind of more benefits and, and working conditions. Okay. And, and that- the side, we, need, we need to just drastically expand that as well. So yes, we need to reduce fees, but we, uh, the bottlenecks are educators and spaces. Okay. And that's a great point. And I want to come back and talk about that sort of talent uh, recruitment and retention and incentives and whatnot. Um, before we uh, delve into that a bit more, um, Megan, I want to ask you, the $10 day childcare, I mean, it's been great for some, but it's also created issues. Can you talk about that? Um, I myself am just part of the childcare fee reduction because I can't be part of the $10 a day site because mm-hmm. they won't pay my rent. Because right. um, I, I own the building that it's in and they, they class it as double dipping. And I think I've actually given them some food for thought. I, I know I've had several emails with the government because I'm like, so what you're saying is if I move my daycare to a commercial space, which char- will charge me in excess of $3,000 a month, you'll pay that, but you won't pay the 1600 that I'm charging myself because it's right. below market. And I, I'm charging myself because my business is charging it, but you still have in any in any building and this is a struggle i think i've talked to my municipality that's their struggle with the ultimately they don't want to have to pay for rent mm-hmm. yet did you know that some of the largest rents that child care centers are paying are actually in the school districts the school districts charge rent interesting so the rent how we're going to deal with that i think is a huge block for opening spaces and for converting people like me to the ten dollar a day site, I can't give them free space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I I just can't. And very few businesses, like opening it up in a business, even community centers and 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 neighborhood organizations, they need a certain amount of money as, mm-hmm. um, to keep that building open. So for me, that's a big stumbling block. But mm-hmm. some of the the fee reduction part. There's been some glitches in the system and people not getting paid on time and the fee caps and the how much can they increase. Like we were only allowed to increase our fees by 3% this year. Okay. Wow. But 3%, I mean, what was, what was inflation? Seven? Seven percent, I think. I mean, hydro went up. I mean, an apple now costs about $3. Mm -hmm. So centers are struggling with the the cap because then... We also can't give any more raises. So you have to do just as much, if not more, with With less. less. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. And one of the things I know we had talked about in our pre-briefing also was that the $10 a day childcare, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not saying it's not a great thing. I don't think anybody here is, but we're just talking about it, Um, is, um, you know, parents can afford sometimes to send more children to childcare. Um, if somebody has a baby at home, maybe they typically would have kept a toddler at home with them. Maybe now they are. So is that increasing wait list? Do we have any data on this at all? I don't think there's any data on it, but I know just in my center alone, I had at one point three families where the moms all had new babies. And so they were at home, but their other child came. Mm-hmm. And for a variety of reasons, they were sure. afraid of losing their space to keep the socialization. But in but now they can afford to do that. Yeah. Whereas before they would move to preschool because that's, you know, they wanted their child to still be socialized yeah. and, and get those experiences, but they couldn't afford full-time daycare. When you're only paying in some, yep. at my center, they're paying about 500 mm-hmm. a month where it used to be a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's 
more affordable for them. So. Absolutely. And and again, just to be clear, this is certainly no condemnation of parents who do that. Yeah. It's just we're just talking about um, outcomes in the system, uh, looking at things. Every time you change something, something else changes, so you need to change something else. Well, the less the less they have to pay, the more desirable it is. Yes. Right? More yes. people will take advantage. Mm-hmm. And the, the key way out of that, um, as you were saying, Carrie, you're suggesting isn't to to blame or, you know, critique individual families for the choices they're making in a desperate situation of scarcity. Sure. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the, the path is to build a universal system of full coverage mm-hmm. with more than enough supply of spaces. And so we know that's the mission and we know the big bottlenecks um, are, you know, recruiting yep. and retaining professional educators and building the spaces. And so I think, uh, I think that's kind of what we need to keep our eye on um, in terms of unlocking these amazing economic, you know, and other benefits of providing childcare, you know, to all of our families and citizens that you were kind of hinting at earlier. That's a great point. And Wendy, let's get you in here. Um, you are a $10 a day childcare center, I understand. How? Um, yes, we are. Could you uh, talk about how this is, um, what you're seeing out there? How's it impacted your center? Um, what are you seeing in terms of how parents are embracing this? Um, good and... Um, and let's not say bad, let's say good in challenges. Um, I think it was, you know, the parents absolutely welcomed the news mm-hmm. when um, we were able to give it to them. And um, I don't, I see what you're saying about that, but in my experience with our, you know, here, um, we've never found parents even if they had a like had an infant at home before the ten dollar a day they generally chose to keep their child in mm-hmm. and like we said for a multitude of reasons so I don't see that personally from my experience here as as a change at all right. being a ten dollar a day or not um, because again it was for them I think it's that that scarcity of losing their space Right. As we spoke about, like they just if they gave it up for a year, what do they do in that year when they're going back? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's you know there's so many so many um, things reasons for families whether they're feeling isolated. You know there's a lot yeah. and like you said it it would be nice to get to a place where we don't even have to think about that. We just have the spaces and we have enough and we have the quality and we have the economic. Mm-hmm. You know it's economically viable for them to. Um, the only thing I would think of is, is just there's a lot of misnomers out there about mm-hmm. the $10 a day, I find. Um, and um, what I what I did is I reached out to other providers and to the government as well, of course, but to other providers that were already at $10 a day and just asked the questions. Because you hear so much through <laughs> different uh, avenues that it's, it's this or it's that. Yes. So I found it very... Um, beneficial to kind of go through and I and I put myself out there like now with saying if you need support around this and you know I I just think at through the advocacy and through community we can we can get this done right and I mean this has been a tremendous step forward that a lot of people have worked very hard for for well decades Mm -hmm. really and um so um as as Eric said um we have to keep the overall vision in mind um and uh, I know that's true that one day you know we want that universal access we want this across the board I want to um change uh just 
change gears for a minute. Um, there was a report released, I believe, in January of this year that evaluated BC's early care and learning recruitment and retention strategy. Um, and that strategy was launched in 2018 by the BC government with the support of the Canadian government. It focused on a 10-year plan to increase the quality, affordability, and availability of childcare and included an early care and learning recruitment and retention strategy. The report found that 45% of childcare centers are losing more staff than they can hire and 20% of employers turned away children because of lack of qualified staff. So we're coming back to what you mentioned before, Eric. So I have a couple questions around this. Um, because a big part of the childcare crisis is talent recruitment and attention, my question is what is being done to improve talent and uh, retention strategies for childcare professionals? Well, let's start with that one. Um, so, um, who'd like to take that on first? Yeah, I can start Great. and, uh, summarize a little bit about what's being done and then maybe focus a bit more on what all needs to be done. Yep. And so the province is currently providing a wage top up to eligible educators of $4 per hour. Mm -hmm. That's a part. It's a little bit helpful. It's been largely eroded by inflation, um, since it was introduced. Um, also expanding, you know, spaces and post-secondary institutions, bursaries, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. now, what we need though, so you cited the 45% statistic of, you know, 45% of facilities losing more educators than they can hire. And the reasons that were given um, for that loss are threefold, uh, inadequate wages, mm -hmm. inadequate benefits, and inadequate working conditions. And so benefits, we're talking about things like pensions, you know, extended health, things that uh, employees in the K-12 sector have, you know, through their collective agreements. Right. Working conditions would include things like the quality of the facility, but also enough educators so that you have, you know, time off the floor. Um, you know, just like teachers in the K-12 system have prep time, have reflection time. Early childhood educators are worked off their feet right now and don't have time to leave the floor often. Right. Um, and so we need enough. When it comes to wages, that's where I was mentioning before, when we look across BC, across kind of comparator positions, similarly qualified people, we need to be publicly funding guaranteed wages that start at 30 and rise to around 30 and, and rise to around $40 per hour mm -hmm. for qualified early childhood educators. If we can do those three things, like those three pillars, we can do a lot to, to recruit and retain the, the number and the, and the quality of educators that we need. And I'm sorry, what, what is the average wage right now? Did I hear 24? There are different sources for that. Mm. And so uh, the province is reporting a median of $26 per hour. I'm not actually sure whether that includes supervisory positions. Mm -hmm. um, it, we, I just saw some data yesterday that I'm unable to reveal the source of, but around $24 per hour, which is consistent from you know what we're seeing in Greater Victoria from the Child Care Resource and Referral kind of surveys that they send out. Right. So you know, 24 maybe for an average right now, but we need to be starting at 30 Again, climbing mm -hmm. to kind of close to 40. So we need a big move okay. um, from the province on this one. Uh, Megan and Wendy, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, for me, it goes back to when Eric was talking about the, the work environment. Um, we all have minimum ratios like that, you know, it's a, a one to four for an infant toddler. It's um, one to eight for a three to five year old. But with all of it, it we want quality programs. We None of us want to skimp out on programming. No. But what it is, is we're, we're doing documentations and learning stories and observations of the children because we're also getting a lot more children with support needs that are unsupported. Mm -hmm. So we're literally working 
in some cases, nine hours a day without breaks. And wow. yet we still have to do the paperwork aspect. Uh, God help you if you're sick because there are no subs. There's no, like, it used to be years ago, there was actually an organization where you could call and hire a sub. That is the unicorn um, right now. Mm-hmm. So we've got that... People are struggling to, they have to come into work when they're sick, or you have to shut down part of your program because somebody's sick. This is why some centers are choosing, much like the schools do, one week at Christmas they close, one week Mm -hmm. at spring break they close, one week at summer they close, because they're then guaranteed at least some time off. Yes, yes, exactly, because the burnout rate sounds like... it's, It's super high, like ideally you would have those minimum ratios, but then you would have like one extra, whether it be the manager as an extra person Mm -hmm. that can then fill in when somebody's sick or on holidays, relieve them so that they could have a lunch break so that they could do some, you know, do a a documentation, a learning story, a a pedagogical narration, however you want to describe it. Right now they're cramming that in while the kids are napping or they're doing it at home. And, and we shouldn't have no. to do our work while we're in our off time with our families. No, and I think anybody who works regularly with children or as a parent knows that these little kids, I mean, they're exhausting. I mean, it takes a lot of mental energy um, to be aware of their needs and fulfill their needs. And it's physically tiring too, isn't it? Wendy, let's let's talk to you about this. Um what are you seeing um, in terms of, um, you know, is burnout um, a factor and are you agreeing that the wages need to come up and uh, quite significantly? Yeah, I definitely agree with the wages coming up. Um, I do feel fortunate that, you know, we've been able and I have been able in my career to to work in quality places that did over ratio but the caveat for that was always, well, we didn't maybe make the highest wages, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. one thing, you know, so yes, we could have three, you know, like how, what Megan spoke to about the over ratio. And, but it was also, like I said, with the caveat of, well, maybe we just don't make the higher wages. And I was always saying we need both. <laughs> we mm-hmm. shouldn't, it's not one or the other. Um, and I do feel, yes, the wages need to go up, but I do feel with the um, implementation of the wage enhancements, you know, that has helped for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quality, yes, absolutely, of the workplace, you know, being able to offer all of those things. And, you know, I, I mean, within the practice here, I just see, you know, the ability Educators are just, they're raring to go. They want to do all these things. They're doing pro-D and, yeah, just that we need the time for it. Like I've always Mm -hmm. said, at least now, for instance, um, you know, first aid, we need to take first aid as a prerequisite. And that was only ever offered at night through the weekend. And it was like, oh, you know, now they actually offer it on the weekday. So we're able to actually send um, people to go do it. And they, you know, they don't miss out on an evening or a weekend, which is precious. And they can do it on, you know, mm-hmm. the in the weekday. So little things like that are very important. Okay. And um, I do echo about the, the pension. That is, the mm. you know, the one thing in my career where I've 
that's ever had me contemplating leaving is yeah. because it's just, uh, you know, that lack of, we've always had benefits extended met and all of that, but it was the pension piece that I think is, would yeah. be so incredible. Well, you know, I, I think these are all good points and I can't help but think, um, of course, I think the vast majority of people working in early childhood care are female um, and um, there's a whole kind of, can we talk about this as a gender-based issue as well? Or should we talk about it as I'd, a gender-based issue? All right. I will say that I have had a male staff member in my center pretty much every year for close to 20 years. Right. Um, the last five, yeah, I'm not going to lie, it's my son. I, hey, okay. <laughs> go get your ECE. Um, Good so, move, Mom. <laughs> but I actually even have a student right now that's a male student. Yes, so... They are coming, but I had one that mm-hmm. left the program or, you know, he, he came and he checked it out and he worked for me as, mm-hmm. a, as an assistant for a while. And he says, I will never go into this field because, and this was okay, 15 years ago, but he's like, I need to be able to support my family mm-hmm. and I can't do that on this wage. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Eric, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's... Uh unquestionably, you know, a gendered issue. Um, I believe this will, the evidence shows uh, that this profession along with other caring professions have been undervalued. Um, There's been an idea going back, you know, decades that, um, you know, the women working in this field should just enjoy the time with the children. And, you know, it's what uh, Mm. they naturally do, blah, 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 bunch of garbage. And so, uh, just like long-term care, just like other caring professions, uh, this profession has been historically undervalued, and mm-hmm. we need to correct that right now. Right. Um, and I would, I would, um, I what I would wonder is that as our expectations of um, gender are changing, and particularly the role of males in society, perhaps at one time it was not considered um, as uh, acceptable for men to be involved in early childhood. So maybe we'll be seeing more men coming in. I th- I'd like to think we would. Um, there there was a time not that long ago where licensing officers said, oh, you have a male staff member? Well, they can't do toileting and they can't do nap time. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this was coming from our own, you know, basically government agencies telling us that it wasn't okay for mm-hmm. men to work with children. And it it is changing. It's slow. Okay. Um, but you know, men weren't wanted. Yes. Yes. Parents were uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But that's when, you know, when dads watch their kids, they were told they were babysitting. We've changed that Mm -hmm. thought now. When dads are watching their children, they're watching their children. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, you're not babysitting. These are your children. And yeah, they're embracing that. One thing I think it's, Wendy brought up something the other day I think is really important. We're talking about a lot of the negatives impacting the childcare sector and wages and things like that. But I think um, this is childcare month and I think we really have to stress the positives. Wendy, you're absolutely right. This is, working in this field is a labor of love and in fact a calling for many people. And um, so there are many advantages. It's about people like the three people we're talking to today wanting to make this possible 
you know, to be a sustainable career for people. And um, let's let's face it, this is about caring for upcoming generations of humans. This is a really important role in society. Um, can we talk about that a little, Wendy? Um, do you want to talk about sort of the vision and the positives? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, and I kind of alluded to it before, is just saying how, you know, what is the energy that's actually out there mm-hmm. with community of practices, that that's kind of, I'm, I'm maybe not new, but newer to um, our field, I find, and just, you know, that sense of community that people want to be in this field. They just want to be recognized as professionals and compensated as such. But, you know, I just, I look around and it's just, you know, I I look at these students that we get out of the different secondary institutions and I just, I I love their energy, their, what they're bringing, their philosophies. And, you know, it just, what, what I've always loved and I see in all the educators that I know is, you know, offering that for them to grow and us to learn together and so many people that I work with and know and they feel like this is a lifelong journey like we're not done we're never done learning and we learn from our families and children so the opportunities are abundant like and that's what I as you can probably hear in my voice I get more (laughs) excited about talking about it and just that um yeah that sense of community and the importance of it and just being able to provide that for for educators and families and students and children so yeah there is so many so many benefits to it but also again just being seen as the professionals that we are absolutely and my hat's off to all of you really for your involvement in this. I mean, I, I'm serious that I consider this one of the most important professions in our society, um, helping to raise and, um, you know, take good care of the next generations of humans coming up. Um, very quick question. We're coming down to the end, but I, I want to squeeze this in. Um, I had asked Eric, I'd asked this the other day, why is an early childhood care considered part of the school system? Should it be? Is it a good thing? Bad thing? What are we looking at? Is there a movement towards that? Eric, let's start with you. Um, that's been the commitment that BC has made to integrate early learning and childcare into kind mm-hmm. of the education system, starting with the move to the Ministry of Education and Childcare now. Right. And so uh, the vision of advocates and um, you know, hopefully, if we're interpreting the province correctly, the vision of the province as well mm-hmm. is to fully integrate. Um, so that it's a continuum of care, right? Um, from the very early years all the way to graduation, you know, from high school. Okay. Um, that's the kind of universal integrated system uh, all families in BC, I think, deserve and uh, and we need. And now, I'll just I just want to step in here and ask you, Megan. So, what does that mean for you? Because you, uh, as a um, the owner of your own child care center and that you are a very important part of that continuum and we couldn't do it without the privately owned centers. So, yeah, uh, privately owned centers have been, you know, they're what started um, child care in a lot of aspects yes. over the years. Um, like my center's been around since 1971. So, wow. but I think there is definitely a place for all of us and what I like best is child care in the child's community. Like my child care 
we feed right into Macaulay School. And so I know the teachers at the school. So we have some of that continuum of care. Mm -hmm. But I think all kids should be allowed that continuum of care. I don't think we have room in our schools necessarily Mm -hmm. to put it because most of them are pretty crowded. So we can branch out, but we can still offer that um, because there's more, more than enough children to go around. That's awesome. And, you know, Lastly, again, mentioning it's Child Care Month, I want to ask each of you, starting with Wendy, this affects every aspect of our society, our economy. Um, How can people support all of you in your advocacy work um, for, you know, universal access to quality, affordable child care? Um, What do you want our listeners to know? What do you want them to do, whether they're parents or not parents? Um, Again, just you know, just that in the community and that, that ability, I think for early childhood educators, that that ability for us to articulate, um, to the broader community, what we do and the importance of it trickles out. And so when parents, uh, you know, can do that as well, um, realizing that parents have a lot going on with young children and working, but it's just that, just keeping it in the forefront. And, you know, remembering when their children graduate out of, of, you know, early years programs that the importance that they had and just to keep that going. And I think government just, you know, advocacy um, through our ECEBC, through our professional groups and just, you know, you know, joining them in their dialogue around what is needed to keep this and get this to be a universal system. Okay, Megan, very briefly. You know, I don't have much more to add except just make sure I just want more people to recognize childcare as what we are teachers, we are educators. And that's, that will help us with retention, that will help us with a quality program, because if you feel respected, you, you work harder at your job. Exactly. Eric, any last thoughts on that? A couple to add to those great suggestions. If you are interacting with your representative, um, let them know that educators need to be supported with higher wages, benefits, working okay. conditions. Um, and uh, the 10 a day vision and plan came from community. And mm-hmm. so the advocates that have been championing that um, you know, can be found at 10 And so if you're looking to get involved with an organization or support someone, 10 Okay, that's awesome. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I could talk to the three of you for a lot longer. Uh, I want to thank Wendy Lowe. I want to thank Eric and uh, Megan Brame, um, and I'm going to turn it over to our producer for this episode, Ben Wegg, who you may hear on upcoming podcasts, and he's going to tell us what's coming up in the next few weeks and where you can listen to this podcast. Thanks, Carrie. So in our next podcast at the end of May, we'll be in Czech Studios talking about ChatGPT and its economic impact and whether it's really going to change everything. And then we're going to look at the advantages and myths around 15-minute cities. Find out more at southislandprosperity.ca. Thanks for being with us today. You can listen to the Rising Economy podcast on Czech's podcast network or anywhere you tune into your favorite podcasts. Thanks, everybody. And um, yeah, uh, I won't say hug your child care provider, but I mean, we take apples to teachers. Do something nice for your child care provider. They're great. Um, Have a good day, everyone.